This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome, 5pm in the City of London. We are nearly there, it is a Friday, we've got an hour to go, but we've got a lot to talk about and a lot to work our way through. I'm Guy Johnson in London, alongside Alex Steele over in New York. Alex, European equities finishing in positive territory, the FTSE 100 up by 1.2%, but on your side of the pond, well, the Nasdaq's fading and fading fast. Uh, we maybe find a little bit of stabilization, but still, the S&P is off quite aggressively. Yeah, it's now down about eight-tenths of 1%. Um, two of the biggest drags, Deer and Ross Stores, and I bring those up. One's an ag equipment company and one is a retailer. And I bring those up because they're a huge drag on the S&P. And also it shows that the negative earnings assumptions when it comes to growth have not yet been priced in. If we go from an inflation scare to a growth scare, that's not yet in the market and not yet in earnings estimates. And that's what we're seeing sort of repriced. So we'll follow that as well. Absolutely. We're going to dig into all of that, plus the economic data, which I think looks pretty grim out of the UK today. Consumer confidence dropping and Mm -hmm. dropping fairly sharply. Retail sales uh, looked at headline level fairly good, but actually the details, mm, not quite so much. So we'll come back. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Uh, We'll do that with David Goodman, who's sitting next to me in the studio. Before we do that, over there in New York with Alex uh, is Charlie Pellet with the headlines. And I thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Bank of England Chief Economist Hugh Phil says Britain's inflationary shock is likely to be worse than feared. Price pressures were substantial and further interest rate increases will be needed. In a speech to the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants in Wales, Bill spelled out the dilemma the central bank faces as soaring inflation threatens both to become embedded in domestic price settings and depress growth by squeezing household incomes. The Group of Seven has unveiled a package worth more than $19 billion in short-term financial aid for Ukraine, while the ruble surges to the highest in seven years against the euro. Russia's president is shadowing U.S. President Joe Biden in Asia, where he is meeting with officials in South Korea and Japan over the next few days. Meanwhile, a top Kremlin official says Russia is intent on taking all of the Donetsk and Luhansk, uh, Luhansk regions of Ukraine even as the campaign on the ground there is struggling after heavy losses. So where is the traffic camera that makes the most money for the City of London? Bordered by the Bank of England, the Royal Exchange and Mansion House, Bank Junction is the beating heart of the City of London. It's also one of the financial district's top money spinners, a traffic camera system designed to catch vehicles who breach its stringent regulations, managed to pull in 15.2 million pounds in penalty charges Whoa. in the three years through 2021. This according to a Freedom of Information request to the City of London Corporation, the district's governing body. Lots of pounds. That's the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson, back to you now in London. Charlie, it's right outside our office. I, I'm oh, well aware. Yep. 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 How many times have you got nabbed? None. Fortunately, I don't have to drive through here. I come on my bike and I'm allowed to do that. So you're allowed to cycle through and buses are allowed to go through that junction. It used to be bedlam there. But now I, it's, it's almost like it's pedestrianized, the yeah. occasional bus rumbling along. Does that number seem off the charts to you, 15.3 million pounds? No, I, I, I'm kind of with some of the drivers that express their concern that maybe it's not as well labeled as it could be. I have to say I, it, it would be an easy mistake to make to, to go through that junction. 
Um, and and the fine's fairly punchy. So, yeah, no, I could see a lot of people making that mistake. And, and judging by the numbers that we've got, yep, I think that probably is uh, a mistake that a lot of people have made. Yeah. You can reduce it if you pay within 14 days. But, yeah. You know a lot about this. It's, it's, I, I it's walk past it there. every day. I, I walk through this junction every day. Yeah, every I, day. Like, I, I like the image of Guy Johnson on his bicycle right up there perhaps with Boris Johnson on his bicycle. So it's a, yeah, I ride my Boris bike every day. Alex chuckles as I, as I appear on our team video call wearing my Dayglo helmet. If only, if only that ever happened. He doesn't join by video. It's very distressing. He will not let us see him in his biking gear. You, you, it has been, there have been, there have been incidences in which the team has seen it. I try and keep them to a minimum, <laughs> just for, just because there are certain members of our team who would have, so Alex included, would have a lot of. Oh my god, totally. Um, anyway, should we, should we move on now? That we've moved on to my to my cycling helmet. I think Let's it probably it. is time to move on from this conversation. So UK consumer confidence fell to its lowest level in 48 years unsurprisingly, given the cost of living squeeze that the UK is experiencing. That data revealed a little earlier uh, by the market researcher GFK. But we also saw on the same day as that data came out, retail sales jumping. But I think actually once you dig into the details of that retail sales number, it doesn't look quite so clever. So let's get the analysis here with David Goodman. David, I thought the consumer was under pressure. Why did retail sales go up? Well, I mean... The story with, with retail sales, it was a surprise. We saw that number come in. We thought, wow, this is a, a decent result, and particularly for April when all the cost of living really kind of hit home. We saw tax rises. We saw energy yeah. bill increase. All that happened. You looked at the reasons, and there was a, a lot of spending on alcohol and tobacco in supermarkets. <laughs> yeah. um, and that is really, according to the NS, a sign that people are less willing to go out. They haven't yeah. got enough money to go out and spend money, so they're staying in and they're spending money. So it's always the thing where recessions bite, Alex. People buy pizzas. Oh yeah, they go they go to the offie as well. Pizza, beer, wine, yep. totally. Yep. Um, I, I want to talk about the consumer confidence because it was so bad, and I, and I wonder like how sticky do we think that that is? Like, what would really actually help turn that around? I mean, in terms of how sticky it is, it's been it's been low and heading this direction for quite a long time. We've been kind of slowly grinding towards this this lowest level and and we say it's the lowest level in in 48 years what we actually mean is it's the lowest level ever this ever, the, yeah. the um the series only started in 1974 and it was it's never been low and you think of everything that's happened to the uk since the 1970s there's been black wednesday financial crisis the pandemic when we were all locked in our homes and this is like the worst it's been for the consumer so yeah i mean it's going to take something quite quite bigger thing to kind of break consumers away from this because and what does that mean in terms of the direction of the economy is this how good a predictor is this of recession well i think if you if you look at what some people were saying today it's it's really it's obviously not good news if consumers aren't willing to spend and particularly in the uk consumers are such an important driver of growth if they start to get spooked and, and even more and they aren't they're not spending and the kind of meager growth that the uk is expected to see this year and nothing next year that starts to look very kind of tenuous indeed is a do we break out consumer confidence do we do you guys break out consumer confidence in terms of uh what people's paycheck is i'm just wondering how across the board it is or how regional it is so this this report looks at people's assessment of their own situation and the financial situation and also how willing they are to spend big on on big kind of big ticket purchases and from a year ago all those things have absolutely created um this month alone, four of the, four of the five indicators they looked at fell off as even further. So I think generally people are less happy about where they're going themselves and where yeah. the economy is going. And, and normally you kind of see 
people are pessimistic on the economy, but they're a bit more optimistic about themselves. And, and that just isn't there at the moment. In terms of what would help, there's a lot of talk about tax cuts at the moment. How effective would such fiscal intervention actually be? I think if we're talking about tax cuts, obviously that helps put more money in people's pockets, but it's how well targeted that is. That helps the people who are really suffering are, are lower and there's people on benefits. Who don't can, tend to pay tax. Or who pay less tax. And yeah. Whereas if you cut, cut taxes, you help people at the higher end of the spectrum. So you may get a kind of increase in, in general confidence, but you won't be helping the people who need it most. And I think that's really the dilemma that all, all the support is facing is like, mm -hmm. how do you target it at the right people at the right time? And So yeah. let's pretend we get some BOE rate hikes then. What does that do? Yeah, well, that obviously makes things more more difficult. I think they kind of, what what, what the rate, rate hikes do in the BOE say this is they, they act to reduce demand even further and that kind of helps bring down inflation. So, yeah, I mean, that's not a pretty, a, a kind of pretty picture either, to be honest. David, great stuff. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on a Friday evening after a busy week. Thank you very much. We greatly appreciate it. Bloomberg's David Goodman. Uh, up next, we are going to hear from Maria Tadeo's interview with the German finance minister uh, at the uh, G7 meeting, talking about what is happening with the inflation story, how we can certainly tackle that, uh, and also talking about what is happening in terms of the rebuilding of Ukraine. That conversation next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. You have inflation, you have slowing growth, and you still have a war uh, in Ukraine. Um, there's a lot of issues that are facing the European economy, and in particular Germany, that has a huge reliance uh, on natural gas from Russia. So Maria Tadeo uh, caught up with the German finance minister, Christian Lindner, um, and they talked about how G7 nations are going to agree on aid uh, for Ukraine. Um, and they also talked about the risk of inflation as well as growth. Here's part of the conversation. We have to... Um uh, guarantee the capability of Ukraine to descend, defend themselves. So um, we are here um, and we are fundraising um, to secure the liquidity of the Ukraine government. And it appears that there will be more than uh, 18 uh, billion uh, we can um, uh, raise uh, to support Ukraine in this uh, crucial historical moment. And I think it's a very good signal that the G7 nations uh, are standing shoulder to shoulder to Ukraine because they are not only defending themselves, they are defending our values. And of course, Germany has said that, and you yourself, you've spoken that this country is going to need a Marshall Plan, a huge reconstruction. But just on the short term, you're putting forward 1 billion uh, euros. You've said you're going to commit with that. Now you talk about a community that says 18. Who is funding this gap in between the 1 and the 18? Is it G7? Is it also European EU money? What's, what's the combination here? Yes, it's G7. Uh, for example, the uh, 7.5 a billion uh, dollars the um, US uh, Congress um, had uh, decided and um, in addition the EU uh, programs and this uh, sums up to uh, more than uh, 18 uh, billion and um, uh, if we use the capabilities of the IMF I think for the foreseeable future of the next month um, there uh, shouldn't be any concern of the Ukraine government to finance their state's needs. 
So what you say is that uh, for the next three months, presumably, Ukraine is not going to have any issues uh, paying for this basic needs. You, you don't see any funding problems for the country. For the foreseeable future of the next month, I think the problems are solved. And uh, we are standing uh, ready to observe the situation. But at the moment, I think we, we uh, made um, a very important progress uh, on guaranteeing the liquidity of Ukraine. And of course, you know, this is one issue, but in this G7, being the German finance minister is always difficult. You have to deal with a big industrial uh, country that, of course, now concerns about inflation, concerns about monetary policy changing. Yeah. When you look at the whole picture, what is the issue? I think I have an idea of what concerns you the most. But what is the issue that you're focused more? Is it inflation? It is inflation. In the short term, it is inflation. In the long term, we need sustainable growth for all of our economies. We have to rehabilitate um, uh, growth in a sustainable, inclusive way. It's a long-term project. We have to finance uh, transitions um, to a greener economy, uh, um, digitalization. Uh, we have um, these special challenges for mankind. But in the short term, uh, we have to deal with uh, rising inflation rates. Um, and um, uh, this is, um, um, I think, the, the, it's key for our economies that we uh, reach again the level of uh, 2% um, uh, inflation rates. Now we have to take um, tough decisions mm -hmm. on the one hand, the central bankers, and on the other hand, the um, uh, governments with uh, their uh, fiscal policy um, measures. Um, um, I'm in favor uh, of a neutral fiscal stance. We have to maintain a, a stable macroeconomic uh, environment. And um, I suggest to focus on the supply side mm -hmm. um, of economic uh, policies, which means not to pay subsidies and subsidies and subsidies, but improving the, the, the surrounding the um, ecosystem for businesses, invest in education, um, uh, research and uh, development to have productivity um, um, uh, progress uh, and not uh, effects on the price level, which is already very high. Uh, German Finance Minister Linda talking to Maria's, Maria Tadeo um, here at Bloomberg. Really interesting conversation as we wrap up the G7 in Germany. Up next, we're going to turn to monkeypox. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. Alex, I think we should probably talk about the markets for a moment. The S&P has resumed its drop um, and is getting perilously close to some key levels. Um, we are now trading. I just want to get the, uh, the GIP up and get some exact numbers here to see where we are. We're now trading at 38.47. We're just off session lows, mm -hmm. but only just. Starting to look pretty ugly. I'm trying to remember where that key level is. It's, so it's, it's uh, 38.15 is where a lot of technicians are watching, uh, but it's like 38 in the 20s to get to the bear market. I'm okay. Look it up for a second. Um, yeah, 38.58 I think is the one-month intraday low. So just keep an eye on that. Anyway, so 38.58, we're already through that. I, it's, I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether we can kind of hold up into the end of the week. I think if we can't, that's going to be quite problematic. So some key levels being talked about in the States right now and being watched very carefully. It, it, is, it is options expiry, so we're seeing a bit of that. 
you are seeing deer certainly acting as a bit of a drag mm. as well. So I got it. It's a 38-37, which is 10 points away, would be technically a bear market from the highs that we saw earlier this year. So yesterday that looked like a far cry. Today, right now, it no longer looks like a far cry. You mentioned all the options that are expiring for equities and ETFs. No biggie. It's the end of the month. That's what always happens. But you can imagine there's some volatility. So kind of where we clear today is where we're going to really pick up on Monday, and that's when the options expiry uh, becomes we'll important. It, yeah. So we, we kind of we hung around 3,900 yesterday. I was watching it quite carefully, and 3,900 seems to be fairly magnetic. Um, but we've, had, we've, we've quite... Not right now. Of, yeah, we've, we've broken <laughs> quite, quite strongly below that. Um, I, the, deer, the deer numbers weren't good. Deer's had a great run. I, it's, it's been a week in which some of the kind of the stalwarts, the kind of the, ex, the, the companies we thought were executing really well, mm-hmm. have started to crack and they're really being punished for it. And I think that that's in part the key is how unprepared the markets were for this kind of news. Um, in particular, you know, Target had already talked about their outlook like just a few weeks ago meaning that the environment has changed so rapidly. Um, and there's no way that earnings estimates have reflected that for the back half of the year yet. So if we take into account what custo- what uh, businesses are seeing, what outlook it is, you're going to have to re-rate these guys yet again. It goes from a valuation story to a slowing growth story. Yeah, bond markets are bid, which is interesting. So yields are coming down as we see the day develop. We're, kind of, we're, we're at 2.8 on a U.S. 10-year right now. Um, the the range over the last three months has been kind of 1.733 up to kind of 1. Point, sorry 3.13. So we're, we're continuing to come down. And this to reinforce Alex's point about this being a kind of a growth shock now that people are increasingly worried about. Are the highs in mm. or does the Fed kind of look at what is happening here and saying, actually, we, we, we need to force yields higher. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see get a lot of Fed speak next week whether or not that is the message that's going to be delivered. Yeah, and I have to point out, too, that you know some of it's going to be the growth scare, like the Deer, the Walmart, the Target, Ross Stores, for example. Um, but I should also point out that Tesla is down 14% yeah. this week. It's the second biggest drag on the S&P over the past five sessions, only behind uh, Apple. It is, you know, the China situation for sure. It's really hard to keep ignoring uh, the difficulties it's having in China. Um, analysts are sort of getting a little bit worried about the country's disruptions weighing on results and their ability to to produce cars, etc. Um, it looks like Musk's Twitter whatever isn't enough to hold up Tesla stock right now. No. So we're going to we're going to watch some key levels uh 38.15 as Alex says, certainly one to watch out for, uh, but we could be about to enter a bear market on the S&P. It's interesting because European stocks kind of held up into the close. Yeah. It's something that's really kind of happening this afternoon. Do you, I, I'm just trying to see whether or not you've seen the effect of the options expiry coming through yeah. at this point. It usually hits actually around sort of 10, 11 o'clock. So in theory, we should be through that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really good question. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like you'll have to wait until Monday to get a cleaner read. Uh, of the market on the open. Um, and, I, and I do also want to point out, and, you know, I got to give some props to Guy on this one, she says begrudgingly, uh, for, for talking about yesterday, which is the lack of real move in the VIX. So we're near a bear market and the VIX is at 30. Something amazing, is not right with this picture. 
So what I've been told is that you want to look at single stock names because yeah. that is actually where you're seeing the volatility. And what's also interesting around this is that realized volatility has actually probably picked up quite considerably. So what you're seeing is the gap closing between implied volatility, which is what the VIX signals, and realized volatility. Realized volatility uh, has been coming up really quite strongly. So we kind of, I think there's a lot of kind of weird things happening. But normally, you would expect the VIX to be kind mm -hmm. of, if you're seeing capitulation, you'd be expecting the VIX to be in the 40s, mid 40s. And as you say, we're well below, well below that. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, so I mentioned Tesla and China. I mean, obviously, the backdrop of that is the rolling lockdowns in China. The zero tolerance COVID policy uh, is an issue as well. And now apparently there's monkeypox hanging around. We got new cases in New York, Sweden, Canada, uh, some cities in Australia. Um, I mean, that all feels fishy to me, too. So let's get some more insight here with uh, Sam Fazelli, Bloomberg Intelligence uh, analyst. Sam, how much do we care about monkeypox in, in, in a broader sense? Oh, hi, Alex. So uh, I think we should care about it because it's not normal for it to be spreading outside of where it's endemic. Uh, and it's clear that it's coming from human-to-human -human transmission. Usually it's, a, it's an animal-to-human transmission. Or if it's endemic, you get lots of people who, who have it, therefore there's a higher risk of transmission. So that's why I think we should be looking at it and, and are looking at it. Um, and, um, and, and little is known because it's not something where it's been yeah. so widely spread that the epidemiology is understood. Can you, can you just tell me what, what monkeypox is? Yeah, sure. It's in the family of what are called orthopox viruses which includes chickenpox, uh, all the poxes, <laughs> chickenpox, <laughs> smallpox, um, and here monkeypox. And in fact, one of the problems with it is that in the initial stages of the disease, you can, ex you can mistake it for chickenpox. And mm -hmm. that's what probably has happened, or that it takes a week or two for the uh, uh, bumps on your skin to, to turn up while you're infectious. So I, those are the elements that, that drive some transmission. I just feel like you, you could have a better name than monkeypox. It's hard to take something as seriously as you may need to with monkeypox. It's not like chickenpox is. Like, that's fairly hard yeah. to take seriously as well. Well, that's yeah. fair. No, that's yeah. fair. I mean, so you wanted something as scary as SARS, right? Yeah. yeah. Also definitely a fair yeah. point. Um, okay, yeah. so that's sort of the monkeypox state of affairs that we're looking at. Can you give me where we are um, in, in terms of SARS, too, in terms of COVID? We were talking earlier about China's uh, sort of zero-tolerance COVID policy. We had Richemont talking about that being an issue and the consumer in China saying not really coming back because they still have these lockdowns. What are you noticing? Yeah, so China is, a, is, is, is in a uh, world of its own when it comes to COVID, where when most of us had our cases and unfortunately suffering hospitalizations and deaths, <clears throat> China was doing amazingly well, and now they're trying to continue to do as well, but of course, in the face of a much more difficult um, variant, i.e. Omicron, to control. Elsewhere, um, what I'm interested in is that I'm, I'm going to try and think about whether it's worth doing an analysis on this, is that even in areas where cases are going up, you're not seeing a meaningful change in hospitalization rates, some perhaps some increase, or deaths. And you always have to watch out that, that with hospitalizations, you need to know, is it for or because of COVID, or is it for something else, and they tested positive for COVID. That's the bit that I think is tough to assess with hospitalizations. But it looks that we're in a reasonable place with it. I'm going to jump back to monkeypox, because I'm not quite done with it. Oh, yet you are? Either. Okay. All right. I, just want, I, just, I want to know how I avoid getting monkeypox. Because chickenpox um, is really transmissible. Yeah. 
I mean, look, it, it's a, it's a, um, it's not as you know. It, the probability of you picking it up, picking it up on the uh, subway currently yeah. is pretty much close to zero, because so few people have it. But what we don't really know is where the what the current prevalence is, because it takes a week or two for the disease to to become fulminant and, and, and pretty obvious. Uh, but but transmission is you need to be much closer to somebody to literally breathe in their exhalate. It's not like SARS-CoV-2 where it hangs around in aerosol. So this is actually a good excuse, guy, for you to keep not hugging people. So we joke Excellent. because like we have team members of our team are big huggers, and and he's oh. like, get away from me. <laughs> if I, I, am, I am I am British. Like, a- and there's yeah. that hugging? too. Um, all right, Sam. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Uh, Sam Fazelli sure. joining us. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele with Guy Johnson uh, over in London. Um, If you're catching up on the markets here in the U.S., it's developing into kind of an ugly day at the moment. The S&P is now down by 1.4%. We're about 10 points away from officially entering a bear market. Uh, for the year. The Nasdaq obviously getting hit even harder. Uh, Now we're down 2%. So the last hour has really picked up some steam to the downside. Some of the biggest losers, Ross Stores, it's very much a margin uh, story there, as well as Deer. Um, Farmers are hurting. Their costs are getting squeezed. So hard to lay out hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for equipment. So all of that factoring into the market as well. Let's get some extra headlines here for you. Charlie Pelletier. Hi, thank you very much. And here's what's going on, Alex Steele. UK consumer confidence fell to its lowest in at least 48 years after a surge in the cost of living left people more gloomy than at the depths of the 1970s energy crisis. And during the recession more than a decade ago, the market researcher GFK said its closely watched measure of sentiment fell two points to minus 40 this month, the least since records began in 1974. A year after struggling to find adequate supplies of COVID-19 vaccines, a number of European countries are overflowing with shots they can't use, and they're telling drug companies they don't want to pay for more. Health officials from European Union members, including Poland, Slovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, Luxembourg, Finland, the Netherlands, and the three Baltic states, met earlier this week to discuss amendments to contracts with producers such as Pfizer, as supplies overflow and storage costs mount for shots with short shelf lives. Well, the UK is now the hottest destination among European travelers seeking an escape after years of restricted movement. Britain has now leapfrogged Spain as the top haunt for European travelers as of March 2022, according to MasterCard Economics, which reports on this year's travel trends. The UK is among countries spearheading a global rebound for travel, which has made long-haul leisure travel gain almost 70 percentage points toward pre-pandemic levels in the space of four months. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. And that's a real survey? That's not just like Charlie Pellet's own personal survey? Uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> you got to respect the, the, the folks at, uh, at MasterCard Economics. So, yeah, I'm going to call it a, quote, real survey, yes. All right. I don't know if the UK would be number one on my list. Well, but, you got to right. think. I mean, it's very easy to get on a train from Paris and go right over to London, That's and vice true. versa. So you know, it's a lo- and on top of that, too, got a lot of short haul carriers flying around in, uh, flying around Europe as well. So. It's going to be a lot of Americans in Oxford this summer. I'm telling you, guys you. are going to love it. 
So many huggers are coming here. You know, it's the same, I, I'm sure it's the same thing in London, but everybody complains about tourists like they do here in New York. But on the other hand, it is the lifeblood of an economy. And, you know, if you live in a place where people actually want to come and visit your city and spend money, what's to complain about? It's so true. Just you don't have to stand still and look up in the middle of the sidewalk. You know, you I, can perfectly do that to the side. I, I ran into a guy in the subway last night who needed to find the six train. Guy, you don't need to know the full details of how everything works. But rather than directing the guy saying, you got to go up these, I took the guy. I, I, I physically took the guy and his wife, no idea where they were from. And at the end, I said, thank you guys for visiting New York. Just like that. And you know what? Maybe that made their trip. Who knows? And yet again, we proved that Charlie Pellet are a better, better person no, than all of I'm us. Not, it's, just, it's just, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of, you know, you travel, people help you out. It's, you know, that's what it comes down to. So. And so karma is reciprocated. Yeah, that's exactly. Karma always is. Yeah. It's exactly what it's like. And uh, Pay you know, forward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't tell the number of times. The worst thing, guys, <laughs> I've gotten. I, I, and I was so glad my wife wasn't with me. Not, I, I got lost two days in a row making the same mistake in the underground. Once is inexcusable, but two in a row. Had my wife been there, I never would have heard the end of it. But you know, I took, I took the wrong escalator, made the wrong transfer, probably somewhere like Oxford Circus. But uh, you know, two days in a row. That's tourist era. It's grim, man. Yep, it's really exactly. grim. Um, okay, let's go back to Finland for a moment, but not talk about vaccines, but talk about gas supply. So Finland uh, loses its main gas supply from Russia. The Russia is going to turn off the taps. That fuel accounts for about 5% of the nation's energy mix. This is in um, retaliation for Finland applying to join NATO. Let's get a little bit uh, of detail here, because in many aspects, this was very much expected. Uh, Kati Pojanpalo uh, joins us now from Bloomberg. Uh, Kati it was expected, right? So, how is Swinland? Uh, Swinland? What's Swinland? <laughs> well, how is Finland Sweden managing and this? <laughs> Kati, are you there? Hi there. Hi. So, how yes, is Finland going to manage Hi. this? Oh, it's probably going to be uh, just fine here. Um, there's also another pipeline feeding gas into Finland from the south in Estonia, and there are two LNG terminals with a third uh, under construction right now. And then for, ne- for next winter, they're actually renting one of those massive terminal um, LNG sort of floating terminals that will come on shore and will supply both Finland and Estonia with uh, natural gas. My question is, is that it? I, we, we've been worrying about the implications of Finland's application to join NATO. How would Russia respond? Is this as bad as it gets? Well... We don't think so, but obviously no one can know for sure. Um, We already had electricity imports from Russia cut off a week ago, and it's been very common uh, previously to see cyber attacks, which usually cannot be attributed to Russia, but one can hazard a good guess. Um, They do also sometimes uh, sort of veer into the Finnish airspace by accident. Uh, Okay, you said it... You said it, it It could get worse. Well, certainly it could get yeah. worse. Uh, no one here expects anything military at mm-hmm. this moment. Right. And policymakers insist that, that there is no immediate threat. Is there an expectation that this accelerates Finland's move into other energy forms? I, you're not big users of gas. Never, Finland has other energy sources as well. But how does this change going forward in terms of Sweden's, uh, sorry, Finland's energy mix uh, and, and how it cooperates with its, its Baltic neighbours? Well, it will certainly accelerate the transition to green energy forms, which is already well underway in Finland. And we've got um, a huge nuclear power plant coming online 
uh, later this year. It's been under construction for more than a decade. And so that will help um, a lot for next winter um, to get all of that power in. So a lot of the Finnish energy will be um, emission-free going forward. In the meantime... um what are going to be some of the, the, the stumbling gaps? Like, clearly it's not as dire as if this happened to Germany, but what, what are going to be the stumbling blocks to watch? Well, there's going to be a lot of small businesses that will suffer who will find it very difficult to replace the gas. There have already been some bakeries, for example, that have mm-hmm. said they're going to have to shut up shop, basically, because there is no alternative energy form that they can quickly take into use. I mean, if they started baking the bread with um, using oil, you'd taste it in the bread. Okay, that doesn't sound like a, a good yes. idea. Wood mm-hmm. burning, that makes the bread taste nice. Oil, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. quite so much. Cathy, thank you very much indeed for updating us. We really appreciate it. Cathy uh, Podnyampalo joining us from Helsinki. Um, Alex, I'm, I'm continuing to watch what is happening with the markets. I, there just seems to be so many unknowns at the moment, trying to figure out exactly where these markets go right now. We started our day basically debating kind of is all the bad news in and if all the bad news is in isn't that good news Uh, i think probably we may have been a little bit hasty in our decision making this as we see the s p now at 3838 we're really not very far away from some key levels and we're at that bear market i'm waiting for the redhead to cross on the bear market yep as am i swinland that's all i'm gonna say swinland yeah scandinavia i think that probably encompasses all of that swinland I think, given the fact that they both joined together, I think that probably fits, I think that's fair, fits you know? quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how the, how the Finns are going to feel about that, but we'll let it go. Okay, this <laughs> is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening and welcome back. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB. I'm Guy Johnson, alongside Alex Steele. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about what is happening right now. Uh, we are now in a position where we've just seen it flashing across the screen. The S&P has sunk 20% from its January high. We are now in a bear market. Here it is. Um, we did it. It's there. Now what? Dot, 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 I think is the question. Well, I think technical levels, as you were saying, kind of getting down to around the 15 level will will be something that I think people will watch out for very carefully. But uh, we've certainly accelerated on the downside uh, over the last half hour or so. Uh, So we're down 20 percent from the January high on the S&P. That is that is a huge moment uh, in terms of uh, what is what has been going on here. Clearly, we have seen the Nasdaq front running that. We've seen quite a lot of action here in Europe on the downside as well. Some of the really biggest names uh, have been uh, under real pressure, uh, and they've been led today by Richemont, the Swiss luxury giant which owns brands like Cartier, under real pressure. A number of reasons for that: the Netta Porter deal, the offload. Looks like it's hanging in the balance right now. And China, Mr. Rupert, the chairman, uh, talking about that being a slow recovery. Deborah Aiken joins us now to give us her take on what is happening with Richemont. Deborah, let's just talk about why today's news was such a shock, because the stock was down really quite sharply. Why was the market not ready for the news that we got from Richemont? Why was it so bad? I think that um, the chairman, Johan Rupert, can... Um, talk generally in the marketplace, and I feel that a lot of his view actually, which came out in the two-hour analyst meeting afterwards, was very much about the general market, fast fashion, and other areas, and not necessarily about luxury. 
but we know that luxury has been so volatile because of its exposure to China. Um, and, and his comments played into that a little bit ahead of the market where there's just so much uncertainty on timing for reopening. Yeah. It, 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 a lot of his comments were, were so interesting from things like we have a food crisis and that's going to affect uh, luxury sales, which I would not necessarily have made that connection. But the bifurcation that we're having in society to that China is not going to recover from the zero tolerance COVID policy that it seems like many in the markets are expecting. Yeah, I think, um, you know, what he was what he was really saying was when we think about the supply chain, the logistics side of things, um, there's really a huge amount of overlay in the ports. Um, that will take time to clear. Just from a general macro perspective, we know GDP estimates have been coming down slightly over time uh, in terms of the growth rates. But when we look at these companies overall in terms of fundamentals, this company and many of the other peers are still going to go ahead in the year ahead and really invest as they plan to for the midterm and the long term in China. Um, so it's just about the way that the comments were taken in my mind. In, in terms of what's going to happen with the net porter disposal, that caught analysts by surprise as well. There was an expectation that this was on track, but I would have thought in this kind of current environment, offloading a business like that is very difficult. So I don't think it's about really, um, in terms of the offload, it's about signing agreements with other peers to jointly own Yucaneta Porter. We're at a stage where it's kind of EBITDA break-even. It's never been there before. It's actually operating quite succinctly in terms of over 20% growth this year versus last year and much better than where it was pre-pandemic. So it's at a stage where it's healthy. Um, so we're waiting for Farfetch and others to come on board. And my indication was that something could be announced at some point, that it's still very much um, cooking, should we say. Okay. Um, so so um, that's one area, just in terms of him saying, where are we otherwise? If you was within the meeting, it's break-even, we can do better with it. But I think it's just a general feel that it has been a few years and it should have been better than it is. Fair enough. Uh, Deborah Aiken, thanks very much from Bloomberg Intelligence. We appreciate uh, your insight on Rishma. And, it, and guys, Net-A-Porte. Yeah, because I'm going to know that. They, they have a men's app, I'm just saying. Mr. Porter. That's true. Oh, so you knew that. Aw. Yeah, nice that's joke. easier to say. Uh, that, that is easier to so say. So why is it Mr. Porter and Net-A-Porte? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, a good question in the markets is, now what do we do? Definitely, definitively, a bear market. You have the Nasdaq down by 2%. We're going to talk more about the markets, how the options expert plays into all of this, how to position for Monday. Coming up next, this is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. It is uh, 12.30, right? Uh, almost 1 o'clock here in the U.S. Ugly, ugly trading day really now picking up some steam here. You have the Nasdaq down by 2.5%. The S&P officially in a bear market uh, down by 1.8%. The last two hours have become very brutal for the equity market. 38.15 is the level that many analysts are looking at on a technical level. And there's options expiration today. It's monthly. It happens for equities and ETFs. Um, but that's all going to cloud the picture as well. Let's get some more detail here. Kriti Gupta uh, from Bloomberg joins us. Kriti, Okay, bear market, that's the headline. Now what? Yeah, and I think what's surprising here is that the selling just continues. And the expectation is that once we would hit that 20% bear market, by the way, on a closing basis, that's an important uh, kind of differentiation to make. You would see some sort of bounce back. We are not seeing that. The question to now what, I think, seems to be, as you pointed out, 3815 is the next uh 
technical level to watch. The other thing to keep in mind here is simply how much changes at 4 p.m. exactly, because remember, to your point, it is options expiration, but a lot of that liquidity or uh, those fluctuations coming off expirations only happen at 9.30 and happen at 4. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if we do actually see some sort of reversal in the last 30 minutes as people get in and out of those liquidity windows. In terms of kind of where we are in this journey, Kriti, kind of the question we asked earlier today was kind of is there basically is there any more bad news is there any reason to be bullish here are we reaching the bottom of the barrel in terms of what is going to be freaking investors out and i'm wondering at the end of this week kind of where we are in that journey well you're right about one thing guy it has been a journey for sure it's been an adventure a saga if you will um i i think in terms of is there any good news uh yes there is good news um A lot of these fears, a lot of these sell-offs have been a switch in terms of trading on margins or increase in margins to valuations. And that's really where you've seen um, a lot of these big tech companies essentially punished, but also a lot of these retailers. Gina Martin-Adams said it beautifully. Um, She, of course, is our chief equity market strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. And she said that a lot of these margin stories are they are they don't necessarily justify the say 25% decline uh, that you're seeing um, in target shares for example on any g- given day the other thing to keep in mind is because there's that shift in narrative a lot of these companies that have secured these supply chains Andrea Felsted of Bloomberg Opinion made a great um, comment about this have actually been able to navigate their stock has actually been able to navigate a lot of the selling pressure that other stocks have faced I think the good news here is that now that you have this immense selling pressure in future earnings, do you get as severe of a drop or do you perhaps actually get better than expected Mm -hmm. numbers? Have the has the bar been dropped so low in that anything is good news? So so bad news. So bad news basically becomes good news in theory. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be a while for us to really, though, be able to know that. Right. In the short term, what do we expect options to tell us? What do we expect uh, sentiment to tell us? Well, we need we expect sentiment to tell us. Well, here here's sentiment is interesting because you have market sentiment and then you have consumer sentiment. And the difference in this is that for a while, there is a lag between what the market believes and what the consumer believes. And for so long, the market was talking about inflation before the consumer was actually feeling it. And if you look at some of, say, even the retail flows, this is where the conversation of capitulation uh, really comes into play. The idea here being that when you're talking about valuations, margins, recession fears, institutional bidders actually came out of the market first. Retail bidders still held on to their hats. Now you see that retail capitulation as well. So I think when we're talking about sentiment, the players behind it really matters. And I think that's also where you might see a reversal. What you need for the market to rally here is not the retail bid. You need the institutional bid. And a lot of the institutional players have been saying, we're watching for the right valuations. The problem here, one more problem for you, Guy, is that that valuations have dropped the pre-pandemic levels. But if you go back to where we were, say, January 2020, fourth quarter 2019, the concern, again, was are these stocks overvalued? So we are once again back to a valuation problem. Hmm. There's also this idea still in the market that the Fed's going to rescue the market. And you I, think and that's I really, still there? Like you really I, think? Well, I, I, yeah, I think, I think it's so ingrained in people's belief that it was fascinating. I don't know which Fed speaker it was that Steve Leesman was talking to over at CNBC. 
Uh, Esther George. Uh, Esther George. She was talking about, oh, yeah, we're watching the market very carefully. And I think a lot of people took that as, oh, we're watching the market very carefully to see if there's a problem here and if levels get too low, we're going to step in or change course. I think she's watching the market very carefully to to make sure the market continues to go down. Mm -hmm. I think the issue that they have is kind of if the plumbing doesn't work and this is an orderly, then I think the Fed probably does have an issue. But at the moment, I'm not sure that's the case. I, could he, do, do, are there still people, in, to, to this point, are there still people in the market that believe that if the market goes down far enough, the Fed will step back in? I think it's actually the opposite. I think the the gauge of success for the Fed has been how far does the market fall. Um, and I can't remember who said this, but they said this very aptly that the Fed put has disappeared, but the Fed call has perhaps arrived in that the selling actually actually helps it um, and helps the Fed yeah, make its case in financial sense conditions. Believability, yeah. Um, that was interesting. I had to think about that for a second. But yeah, I mean, th this is exactly uh, what they want to see. Same thing with housing, right? Like they need and want housing to roll over uh, at the end of the day. Um, we have like a minute left or so, maybe a little bit more. But um, what are you looking for into the close? And what are you looking for on Monday? I want to know whether, one, what level the VIX hits, because we want to see ideally, for technicals to really be in play in a proper roadmap, you want to see high volatility, less volume. And that's how you can kind of perhaps map out the next intraday levels. Um, and so if you start to see a VIX that hits 33, 34, 35, then you have a problem and you're saying, well, this is conviction selling. If it stays at 31, 32, which is where we're at really right now, um, then you might have a little bit of a basis to say Monday is poised uh, for a technical bounce back. Um, just one final quick question for me. Credit has moved quite a lot, and it feels like stocks are still behind credit. And if credit's leading, then stocks still have further to go. Totally true, but I would argue that a lot of people have said that the high-yield credit space, driven by those triple-C energy bonds, um, are perhaps overpricing something that the oil market hasn't uh, fundamentally proven yet. So perhaps the credit market is in the wrong here. Ooh, throw down words. <laughs> Contrarian take. Yeah. All right, Critty, thanks a lot. We really appreciate you. You're very busy. Um, wish you luck for the rest of the day. Um, all right, that wraps us for the show here. Just to recap, we're looking at uh, 38.31 on the S&P. We're down by almost full two percentage points. The Nasdaq off uh, by 2.5% as we technically enter uh, a bear market. Uh, how we go into the close, quite very important, as we have a lot of options expiring as well. Plus, we still get earnings trickling out. We still get retail next week here in the U.S. It was ugly this week. Is it now going to be fully priced in? Have we, have we revalued enough? So that's interesting to look forward to. Have a lovely weekend, and we will see you on Monday. This is Bloomberg.